0: that no longer fits our best understanding of scripture. It no longer fits the world we live in. It no longer is effective missionally. It is no longer effective as an ecclesiological organization and it absolutely should be abandoned um, at first opportunity. Now, what should arise in its place? Well, that, that, Tim, is a very interesting question. Hey, everybody. Everybody, Mike Erie here. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. So glad you're tuning in. Thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing us to be a small part of your journey. Um, uh, I am here today with my friend Tim. Tim is calling in from Pasadena, California. Uh, This is my friend Tim Stafford. Tim, say hello. Hello, Voxers. Tim, what what are a couple of things that people need to know? Because Tim, just by way of introduction, Tim is... Uh, definitely the the brains behind the operation. Uh, he's editing. He's producing. He wrote the music on our um, on our podcast. Uh, he's working on Patreon stuff. I mean, he's kind of this uh, this jackhammer of jack um, of many trades. I don't know jack of all trades. Um and uh, and so tell us a little bit about yourself, bro. Tell us tell us a little bit. I, I, and I want you to I I'm going to describe him. Just oh, before oh. he talks, just to get so you can get a feel so so he is um really gorgeously bearded. We're starting us off on the right note. I and like and uh he's wearing a nirvana uh you know nineties kind of uh uh shirt that Kurt Cobain made famous evidently a daniel I, a Daniel Johnston shirt, okay, which I didn't know what that was, and then he's got a beanie on. So, just shout out to Andy Bear. Um, with I have a the, beanie on because Mike tends to make fun of my hair usually. Well, right off that's, of that. That is, first of all, that is not true. But you have very artist hair. Like the, your hair <laughs> is very artisty, right? I mean, you don't—you you don't have corporate hair. It is very like by artisty. artist-y it's hair. kind of unkept. Yes, which is which is beautiful, and uh, and so tell us a little bit about music. Tell us about the fam. Just give us a little overview.
1: Well, I'm married, got two kids down here in Pasadena, seven and three, Elliot and Mazzy are their names. Um, Mazzy, I play music spell, down here. Spell Mazzy. Mazzy is M-A-Z-Z-Y. I love and it. And she's every bit as spunky as the name. Okay, I like
0: that. It was uh, Yeah, I play country you, music play in music? Los
1: Angeles. Yeah, country music in Los Angeles, not the most popular form of music in the city, but this is uh, that was the music that started coming out of me after a while. I've always loved Johnny Cash and all those guys, and we play traditional country music of yeah, that. That's sort. not
0: yeah, that's not I don't know. I don't see that as country as I see it as kind of this hybrid bluesy bluesy stuff too, right? I mean For the sure. country I think of Twang. I think of Hank Williams. Yeah. Well You're there's not the
1: there's like the uh there's the Tennessee country, the Oklahoma country, the East the Mid East country out there, but then we've got the Bakersfield sound which is like the Merle Haggard and um Forgetting some other names, but there's a there's a West Coast LA country sound that's not. as has there coined. has there
0: ever been a country feud between East Coast country singers and West Coast country singers? I think there was a good feud, not like a early
1: '90s hip hop feud where you know we know how that ended, right? But uh, I don't think they were. I don't think a lot of the people in the South were as keen on some of the stuff that was coming out of here because it was like you were saying, kind of bluesy driven, a lot of guitar driven.
0: That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Sultans of Swing, baby. That's what I'm yeah. talking about.
1: But, I mean, we've got, a, we've got a pedal steel player in our band.
0: I don't know what that is. The slide guitar, the kind
1: of oh, weepy. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Got yeah. it. Okay. It's country. It's got some right. country in there. Okay, that's fine. And you write your original, you write original stuff? Yep. What's your best cover?
1: Right now, we've been playing two covers a lot. We've been playing um, Long Black Veil. Okay. Which is uh, Johnny Cash Made It Famous. Yeah. But it was written by a guy named Lefty Frizzell. It's oh, I love that. It's a that. song about uh, that. adultery and murder. Okay, perfect. Country standards. And uh, we've been covering uh, <laughs> Bruce Springsteen's I'm on Fire quite a bit lately, too.
0: Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah. It's got that's a, good a bit scandalous. It isn't, it, isn't it a little scandalous, too? Isn't it yeah. something
1: bad? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure so, it can so, be
0: construed that way. So, good job. Yep, uh huh. Uplifting tunes out there in the world. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, what's the name? Do you have a uh, do you have a band name or is it just Tim Stafford and the Stafford? Timothy John
1: Stafford. Oh, Staffordettes. Maybe
0: changing it soon.
1: <laughs> That's got a ring to it. <laughs> so you've got
0: you've got stuff on iTunes and all that jazz, right?
1: Yeah, it's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. Look at Timothy you, John Stafford. I'm all over the
0: place. Yeah, you are. We'll take a listen. So you've taken your talents to Pasadena and and have uh, joined the podcast and so one of the uh one of the things that that Tim does is he helps kind of do our Facebook and social media stuff and because i'm I'm awesome at that and um and so you if you see him interacting I wanted you to hear his voice because the, the the sheep know the voice of the shepherd you know what I'm saying Ooh. So so what we got we got an, we got an interesting episode. one of the things Tim has has been talking about is okay, hey, we can actually like do different things as a part of the podcast and we're coming up on our 200th episode. So we've got we've got maybe the best podcast episode ever planned um, for our 200th episode. Uh, it's totally Tim's brainchild and uh, so we're excited about that. but another thing we're doing is that um, we're, we're meeting some folks in Columbus, not we like Tim and I, but I am meeting some some Vox listeners in Columbus and uh, have been doing that for a while. And, and some of them are super interesting. And so we're going to uh, we're going to do a couple of questions and then we'll, we'll go to uh, hear from um, Malaika is her name Malika Cisse which is amazing an amazing name for any human person but then when you get to know her you're like ooh, that's perfect it just it all fits so so before we get to her Tim let's do a couple of questions all right Let's do it Um and and Tim tell us tell us your theological credentials just Whew. just so they know you're trustworthy as an answer They
1: are extensive Yes I have read the Bible <laughs> <laughs> I went to Bible college for a few years. Whoa! I did. I was a youth pastor for a few years. Been what? a worship pastor. Oh, yeah, what? I'm all over the board.
0: Oh, man. Okay. All right. Well, that's more credentials than I have. So, fantastic. that's not accurate. That is fantastic. All right. So, this one. I've read some one. books by a guy named Mike Erie. Oh, yeah. That really qualifies you. <laughs> that qualifies you for the bad reader program um, or i need better taste in authors program that we offer um, so and, and we we knew each other or we knew all of each other at rock harbor correct yeah i was Which on was a worship
1: team at rock harbor 10 12 i don't know it was years ago now but yeah let's not let's not specify it was a couple months ago yes, that we were both
0: there exactly we the mid 20s so so i got a question here about the mega church and um, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna change some details here, um, so this person remains anonymous. Uh, let's see. I, I so this person works for a, a Southern California megachurch, and has been describing um, his or her experience. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna switch to his just because it is a guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's the magic right there. <laughs> so <laughs> he writes, I have, I have watched. So he's talking about this, his experience at this church. And he says, I've watched as dear friends are duped into thinking that they will be advancing their ministry of teaching at a place where there can only be one teacher allowed. And the second they dip their toe in the spotlight, they get iced immediately. And iced, I'm assuming, does not mean killed. I'm assuming that means fired. We'll hope that that's. What I'm mean. just I'm just giving the church here the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> um, uh, the peek behind the curtain at how this church is run is disheartening to say the least, and faith ruining to say the most. How that relates to me is that I have finally I have finally lost. My new role has pushed me into the said into said spotlight, and even after uh, a period of time. Um, I appeared on a major podcast. Is kind of what he's saying. The, the church is getting emails from people saying that hey, this guy's really talented and creative, and um, this guy should you know help lead the church into the future or whatever. Uh, he was the chosen one or whatever, um, and not. I, and I'm assuming it's the chosen one in the Neo sense, not in the Anakin Skywalker sense. Neo was absolutely the first thing that came to mind. Perfect. See, I only that's... have Keanu in my.
1: He's all I can see now.
0: That's right. And and Will Smith turned down that role, which is, I just couldn't see Will Smith doing that role. Not 90s Will Smith. I just think that would have been bad. All right, Keanu, anyway, sorry. (laughs) Although I laughed when I heard about these emails, um, I immediately got my resume ready. I'm now seen as competition, despite not wanting to be. Uh, what is a joke to my peers this week is a threat to upper leadership next week. I've watched this movie before. I have no interest in being one of the main characters. It's not just that uh, the fact that my clock is officially ticking. Um, it's that I was given over control of a project without any um, without any restrictions. Um, it It garnered attention and now um, I'm being put on uh, stage in some ways. Um, and, and, and it has me wondering why in the world would something that I do to help push the church forward and, and, you know, at the, at the request of the church now be seen as competition to, uh, the senior leadership. I'm at a crossroads. Do I continue in the church world? Is it going to be basically more of the same? Why did you leave the mega church scene? And was it similar experience to mine? I love God's church, but damn, Man, I have been burned far too many times by either God's people or people masquerading as God's people. Boom, boom. Ouch. Right now, um, so so I have been on both sides of that. I have been the the guy who is threatening, and I've been the guy who was threatened, and um, and so so I I have uh, I have sympathy. For organizations that, that have so tightly wed themselves to a personality or a person that they simply cannot tolerate anything off message um, from that. I, I understand, I'm not saying I agree with, but I understand um, how effectively an organization can function when it is so tightly aligned around the gifts and personality of, of a leader and and i've seen god do great things um through communities like that the older i've gotten and by old i mean now in my mid 30s uh the wow. older i've gotten the more i've i've sort of picked up on the idea that you know <laughs> the the and the confusion of the mega church i mean and it took me i had this idealistic phase when i first started working for a big church um is how do you wed uh, an organization right that has employees and handbooks and hr and retirement and plans budgets. and huge budgets and property and and policies how do you wed that with this organic family of god body of christ thing that we that we see operating in the new testament and and certainly organization in and of itself is not a bad thing it, the early church had to practice organizing themselves so, that certain tasks would get done, and, and the like apostles removed themselves from certain things so they could focus on other things. So, no problem there. Um, but, but, how you wed being an employee of an organization and learning organizational leadership and being a spiritual leader <laughs> and shepherding people, um, uh, that turns out to be a lot harder than the leadership books make it sound. Because uh, uh, you have a whole like array, a zillion books on organizational leadership, right? And they're hugely popular in pastoral circles because that's the model of leadership that at least, and hopefully it's dying, but at least my generation inherited, right? And passed on was well, you build the church. Here's the senior leader. Boom, you got your thing. Um, but 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 and then and then there are the other other um. Uh, and they're not as many books, but it's you know, pastor is shepherd. It's pastor is, um, pastor is, is, you know, the the church is two hundred people, and you know everyone's name, and and um, and so I never I never found my feet in either one of those comfortably in either one of those worlds, right? I had to know enough organizational leadership to actually get stuff done, right? Because it was an organization and it was large. But I also, how do you not lose the shepherd stuff? And and even when I say shepherding, I'm not by nature a shepherding kind of person, right? I'm much more of a catalytic sort of guy, cheerleader, whatever. I'm not a, hey, let me sit down with eight people today and hear their life story and find that in any way um, fulfilling. Although I love hearing people's stories. But you know what I'm saying, Tim, right? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not this super shepherdy, merciful guy. I am, you know, whatever. So, so... And, and this will kind of go to the question. So the biggest thing for me is to say, listen, I'm really sympathetic to why it is those kind of decisions are made. And, um, and, and I, I get it. On the other hand, uh, I, I think that whole way of doing church is being wonderfully and ruthlessly exposed for the abuses of power it can create. And, um, and so whether it's with Willow Creek or Harvest Bible in Chicago, or, or, you know, previously with, with some Acts 29 churches, I mean, it's, there is this, and and because we used to say, man, no one would ever get disqualified from pastoral ministry unless you sexually sinned, but now, hallelujah, like greed and pride and platform building and ignoring like basic health, those things are disqualifying. Hallelujah for that. The issue is um that I don't know of an of a way to transition from one into the other in other words, every organization needs shepherds and every shepherding movement needs organizers So the option isn't just to jettison one or the other not at all. The option seems to be <clears throat> and and we're beginning to see this, and lots of other places, which is, and it's a shocking idea, but hey, it's okay if other people shine because this thing turns out to be about Jesus, right? And it's okay if other people are gifted And my job as a leader, and I would have preached this, but my job as a leader is to actually free people to use their gifts, um, help equip them. For the ministry God gave them, and, um, and 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 in so doing, yes, I exercise my gift, and 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 one of my gifts happens to be public, you know, very platformish. Um, but but to build a church around that just seems utterly, utterly disastrous uh, in times like ours. So yeah. the if the being question da- is in danger
1: of being stagnant or just sitting too long, I feel like that's the thing I see with those big churches often is that you get stuck around one ideal or one. Mm-hmm. format and you get stuck there for a long time and then that senior pastor who may be pushing people out or stifling gifts or whatever yep. will be there until he dies or retires and then the church is like whoa now what like right. Right. we've been that's in one what... lane of traffic for a very long time and we haven't really moved or paid attention or listened
0: and that's scary. why exactly oh, it is and that's why the scariest thing for these baby boom boomer senior pastors is something called succession planning Right, I mean, it's and and they're massive books. And again, some of it's fine. I'm fine. Okay, okay, okay. I'm not just bagging on the church. See, mega church for me is not a size of church. It is a way of understanding church. A mentality. A mentality of church. You got it. And what 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 I want to suggest is that no longer, if it ever did, but that no longer fits our best understanding of scripture. It no longer fits the world we live in. It no longer is effective missionally. It is no longer effective um, as an uh, ecclesiological organization. And it absolutely should be abandoned um, at first opportunity. Now, what should arise in its place? Well, that, that, Tim, is a very interesting question. But (laughs) to this person's question, I'm at a crossroads. Do I continue in the church world well, first of all, you don't have a choice, right? If you're rescued into Jesus, you rescued into his church. So yes, you will continue into his church world, uh, into the church world. But if, if by church, you mean a Sunday morning event driven thing. Well, I don't know that, 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 you know, cause people will say, listen, doesn't the Bible say do not forsake the gathering together. And, and, and what they mean by that, a lot of them is I'm going to go into an auditorium I'm going to sing a couple of songs, I'm going to hear some some announcements about ways I can get involved in the church. I'm going to hear a sermon that's designed primarily to help uh, meet my therapeutic felt needs. <laughs> and then and then I'm invited to get more involved in church. If that if that's what we're talking about is needed for growth, eh, I could take it or leave it. If we're talking about something a bit more organic, robust, and again, I'm, I'm fine with standing up on a stage teaching people. I have that gift. I'm not opposed to it at all, but it's like our friend Alan Hirsch said when Rock Harbor, uh, a church I worked at years ago was, was blowing up and he brought this whole idea of being missional in uh, as opposed to being attractional. And what that means is instead of focusing all your energy on bringing people to church, what if you focus your energy on helping people be missionaries in their, in their culture, um, and we were so frustrated because we were so successful as an attractional church. And we just asked him, well, sh- so should we just blow blow our church up? And his answer was, no, no, no. You just have to bring other things of strength around it. Take the effort and the energy you spend producing an hour weekend production and invest that time, money, energy, and staffing somewhere else. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's do- amazing.
1: That idea that you don't have to blow it up, that it's not just a... You know, you're not stuck with where you are, but you can kind of come in and reinvigorate, and rethink, and refocus, and and yeah. kind of bring people in and move into a new place is such a more effective way of thinking than it's my way or the highway.
0: Totally, and think about they how they much how much we franchise in, in church models today. Right. I mean, I, I used to be a big advocate of video venues and I'm just not anymore (laughs) because I just am like, oh my goodness, look at all the opportunities you're robbing for other teachers, other men and women to have the opportunity to grow in their teaching gift. Amen. You know what I mean? So, so I, you know, if if I were going to plan a church again and Lord willing, that will happen. It's still going to have a thing. There's still going to be organization. There's still going to be a, a gathering. Absolutely. It's just, where does the best of the organization go? Where's the, where's the best oriented? I mean, it, it, I've, been in, I've been a part of services that had to be timed down to the second. And the transitions had to be perfect. <laughs> and, and, you're, and And you're just like, oh, good Lord. I'm so tired of that. And I think our world is so tired of that. You know, I'm okay. If the preacher gets up and says, "You know, I had a rough night last night and I'm really not super prepared, and so I just think I want to read the Sermon on the Mount to us, you know I'd have massive respect for that person you know yeah, totally. because because when I and I am rambling I know but when when I evaluate teachers all right because i'm I'm a teacher of the Bible and so I do a lot of thinking about and developing and listening to other teachers and one of the first questions I ask. Is does this teacher trust the Bible to do the work of the sermon or do they trust their personality, their energy, their insight, their jokes, their stories, you know, their winsomeness uh, to, to do the work, right? So do they almost rush through the Bible part to get to the good stuff? Yep. And, and I, cause I used to be that, you know, I started out in youth ministry and the first thing I would look for it, I had this big book of illustrations (laughs) that were like cute stories. And then I'd find a Bible verse to go with that. Yep. And and then I, and and then you're like, oh, that really isn't transformative, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And so you can tell within five minutes of listening to a teacher, do they trust the spirit and the scripture to do the work? or not? Do they have to jazz it up? So, no. I now apply that to churches too. I, I think I can tell within half an hour or so what the church trusts in to do the work. And, um, and, you know, it, it could be the, it's the excellence of their programming. It's the, the powerful and emotive nature of their worship, or it's, man, just wait, the worship, we all come in late, but the sermon, frick, that thing is killer. <laughs> and And you're just like, okay, well, that's, that's fine, but I thought our role was to open ourselves up to the Spirit um, and to uh, to the Scriptures, and to do that via sacrament, via community, via you know all the worship, the spiritual disciplines, and then God could kind of do whatever God was going to do, um, if anything. Um, but now, and 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 so so I'm over answering this because I I want to be. Uh, you know, I I would work in a mega church again. I absolutely would. Um, but I would do it so differently now. Do you know what I mean? Cuz all Yeah,
1: the relational I here is my thing with at a big church is I remember we were a life group. My wife and I were life group leaders, which was what the church called their small home their home churches, their home groups. Yep. And there was these different tiers or levels of leadership that kind of trickled down to where we were as as uh home group leaders. And we would meet once a month or once every two months, I can't remember. In a small group with our, our uh, the guy that was in charge of us as leaders, and the guy never remembered my name, through a year of meeting with him, and I just I felt weird that there was such a disconnect from the different levels down to mm. where we were, and then what we were doing in our home church is what we were talking about because we just like, so the this idea of being able to that connecting with people and edifying people and building people up and doing that kind of stuff as as a key component rather than, you know. Like this guy was saying, being built up just to be pushed away because of ego. It sounds like kind of like right, right. Lead pastor ego. Yeah, it's just a foreign. I don't know.
0: Well, it's just protecting the brand, baby. Yeah, you know what I mean. I Personal mean the brand. The, yeah, and 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 this obviously happened with the first Christians. This isn't new. I mean, Paul addresses this beautifully in 1 Corinthians when he's like, dude, some of you say you're of Cephas, who's Peter, and some of you say you're yeah. of Paulos, and some of you say you're of Paul, some of you say you're of Christ, and I'm going, and Paul's like, what? If, <laughs> if WTF could have been abbreviated in Greek, I think that's what, a, what he would have thrown in there, because <laughs> yeah. he goes on this, this majestic rant that ends with, so no more talk of men. You know, it's kind of like rebaptized into Paul. Did the uh, name of Apollo save you? Yeah. And, and so this has been with us, obviously, right? When you think of Israel, you think of Moses. When you think of of um, you know, when you think of the kings uh, in the Old Testament, you think of David. When you think of the apostles, you think of Peter, right? Or though the ones that walked with Jesus, right? I mean, so of yeah. course, and that's no problem. There are I know some incredibly gifted men and women who who are on platforms who are the most humble and beautiful people. I just think it is the nature of platforming itself that is so destructive. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, and unless you've suffered greatly, uh, the platform is toxic. It just, yeah. it just is. And, um, and so I, I think there needs to, we need to eradicate the collusion that exists between those of us narcissists who love the attention <laughs> and and the church that loves to be a part of something awesome and cool. And we need yeah. to just go, you know what? We're not gonna do anything awesome today. We're we're actually we're actually gonna like, I mean, outside of encounter the living God, okay. But we're not gonna do anything like awesome. We're just gonna we're we're gonna encounter God through song and scripture and spirit and sacrament and and you know if you're not freaking in tears today, it's okay. You know, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know, ramble. That's that is a massive ramble right there.
1: Well, that's a big topic.
0: It is. And and I'm I'm so pro megachurch because I've done them and I'm, I'm for them. And, and I don't want to just sound like some bitter guy sitting in a room somewhere, which, you know, I am sitting in a room. Yeah, um, it's Ohio. It, it, it is Ohio. Oh yes. All right. Do we have, we're 30 minutes in and her interviews, 20 minutes. You want to do one more? Yeah, let's cruise. All right. You want, all right. So here's, I thought this was a phenomenal, phenomenal question. Um, relatively new podcast listener, so it's certainly possible that you've addressed this in older podcasts. Uh, feel free to direct me there. Uh, yeah, you should listen to all of them. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm wondering if you can or have addressed the Christian, quote, "Christian speak about feeling, quote, "the presence of God or the Holy Spirit prompting, etc. I absolutely believe those things happen, but what would you tell a teenager who was unsure of their salvation because they've not felt the things they think they're supposed to feel or a husband who says he's never felt anything like that in his whole life and then sits in church Sunday morning for worship surrounded by lots of people who certainly seem to be feeling things. And sometimes hear sermons that seem to imply that if we're not feeling overwhelmed by the love of God or feeling overwhelming love for God, then maybe we just don't know Him. Wow! Wow! Right? What a what a phenomenal question. You're the, you're an artist. Talk to me about feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's a that's
1: a hard. That's a. I feel like that's like that's as old as like the problem of evil question.
0: Yeah. What happened? So. So, are there ways in which Christians have used their personal spiritual experiences to make other Christians who've not shared those experiences feel left out or less than? Of course, yeah. Right? You should have the gift of tongues. You should have the gift of prophecy. I mean, right? We we really platform um, certain spectacular gifts and then other gifts we really don't you know pay too much attention about. That's so. That's a true statement. Um, the Psalms seem to testify that there's, that even one person can have a very uneven experience of God, uh, that there are times of great, um, spiritual intimacy and closeness. And there are times of great distance and silence, at least felt distance and silence. For sure. So, so there's a great deal of permission to both have a deeply affective, right? Affective relationship with God and a relationship with God where that part isn't there. Right? So the the key becomes which forms of of spirituality do we elevate? And the answer in the American church is that we elevate uh, the feel good, the positive, the therapeutic, the self-esteem building um, and we neglect those that uh, get us in touch with suffering, lament, uh, complaining, um, uh, just the distance and silence and absence of God. So you've got a teenager who, who needs to be said, yeah, we believe God speaks, but he doesn't speak the same way to everybody. And, um, and, but I don't want him to shut down the possibility or, or her to shut down the possibility that God may speak to them. Um, cause I've had, I've had that happen at times. I've also had long, 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 long seasons where there's nothing right. Heaven is dust and silence and that's it. Um, but, but I don't want that to be exalted as the only proper form of spirituality. So that when we don't tell stories of doubt, when we don't include lament in our worship, when we don't worship uh, as a sheer act of will, not with our hands raised and our hearts lifted, but rather yeah. what the heck is going on in life, right? Yeah. When we yeah. neglect those parts of our public liturgies, then then you've got people feeling like this, that, that that's, there's something wrong with them or there's something wrong with God. Neither of that is true, right? It is yeah. the nature of the life of faith and relationship that God wants. There will be uneven stretches. Absolutely. And Tim, as I see that you're nodding and ready to chime in and (laughs) the the, there is, I mean, you can't neglect the like battle motif in the, in the scriptures. Like there is another team on the field, as they say. Um, And there is warfare for, for some of the most important stuff going on in our hearts and our lives. So So that's what I'd say. I'd just say if you had a really healthy dose of liturgy that included the ordinary and the spectacular, the positive and the negative, the joyous speaking of God and his silence, then then people wouldn't be feeling so left out in the cold when they don't share, you know, the same worship, warm fuzzies that everyone else in the room feels.
1: Yes. Man, yeah. I was thinking about this the other day because one of the reasons that we, I had a little season where I stopped going to church. Not that I pushed my faith away, but I got so burnt out and it was a large church and doing music on the stage felt overproduced and it felt a little manipulative. Mm. And it felt like we were, because you can do that with music and art. You can, you you know, if, if I'm playing a show out there, I want people to connect with it. Like you think of when you're playing music, you think of the audience as half of the equation. So uh, half of it is the art that I'm putting out to the other half is the folks who are responding to it. And if one half isn't there, then it's not a full, it's right. not full. So sometimes if, I think that, and this kind of addresses the previous question too, that we, like as a worship leader, I'm always trying to find the line where I'm not being emotionally manipulative with the music because that can happen. Where you build the music in certain places on purpose to to create a response and then drop it down. So you're always trying to be we always pray beforehand to lead as worshipers first, that we're first up there as people who are worshiping and second as you know musicians and whatever. Right. And so this idea, in, when I was a youth pastor, we used to talk to the kids about um, experiencing God through obedience when sometimes you're not hearing Him or seeing Him. Like Tony Campola used to tell his crazy story. He was, when I was a youth pastor, he was one of my first all-stars. And he, uh, this idea was long story short, it was just a guy, a pastor going a meeting with a, a church attendant who was very sick and was very difficult to deal with, and he was annoyed at the fact that he had to do that. But through the process, he found that he came to love the guy just through the obedience of it. And this idea that mm. God kind of mm. spoke to him and ministered to the pastor himself, mm-hmm. with, not through big lights, not through you know, these normal things that we kind of equate to the idea of God speaking to us, but it was through our obedience that. God showed up and spoke and, you know, I've been learning a lot about that. I've been learning a lot about, you know, standing, is it Elijah that was in the cave and he was looking for God's voice and the fire and the tornadoes and yeah. everything. And then God came in the
0: whisper. Sometimes yeah. we're looking
1: in the wrong places and God's like, Hey, I'm right here. I kind of, you know, I'm going to come into you quietly if you're listening.
0: Right. Right. But there's nothing wrong. Well, I shouldn't say, I mean, I, I'm sure if, if you're living, if you've just murdered somebody, And you're asking God to speak to you, you know, perhaps, you know, perhaps. (laughs) Time and place. Yeah, he he may speak, but he would be yelling. Um, So so I mean, but with appropriate disclaimers, uh, this is part of the this is part of the life of faith. And I hate it. I don't like it at all. Um, and, And there are things that we can do to help put us in the best possessions or positions to listen. So that's yes. true. Like I, I do believe um, uh, retreating, Sabbathing, those sorts of things help, no question. I don't think it's a waste of time, um, but there's no guarantee, right? There have been times I've gone on silent retreats and there's just been silence. And then there have been times <laughs> I've gone on silent retreats and, and it feels like God won't shut up. And that just could be my imagination or not. Um, but I've, I've chosen to orient my life around the idea that there is a relational being that the center at the center of the universe, there is relationship, some community of self giving, self sacrificing love. And And that um, community
1: extends here too, to those deserts, having people around you that that's right. When you're, when you're tripping and not tripping, like (laughs) the kids do here in LA, (laughs) but you're tripping in the dust and whatnot. And you know right i, I have a right. great group of friends that when one of them is stumbling you know hopefully i can help pick them up and when i'm the one that's kind of falling down and yep. getting dirty and trying to flounder around finding something they'll be the ones that pick me up in that community exactly right a relational god with relational people
0: yep boom, boom. speaking of a relational god and relational people we want to introduce you to our friend malika she's somebody i met and had said, "Hey, I, I, I listened to the podcast, and, I, and, and so I got to know her a little bit. And she has a very interesting story. <laughs> she's she's from Sierra Leone, and um, was raised in a, a mosque, in an evangelical Christian legalistic school, and in an African American." you know, a Pentecostal church and, and <laughs> needless to say, she has an interesting perspective on, uh, on Jesus. So, uh, please enjoy that brothers and sisters again. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your life. Straight from the Ohio State University,
2: yeah. <laughs> a,
0: a third year student. Malika, say say hello, Malika, to everybody.
2: Hello, Vox listeners.
0: Now, Malika, is it true that you are a Vox listener?
2: Yes, I I I discovered it last semester. I've been listening to it, um, pretty avidly. So I'm really avid listener, I should say. Yeah.
0: And and do you feel like, uh, this really helps you go to sleep? Is that, is that the primary way that you use the podcast, just kind of a sleep aid, or do you actually find it interesting? Because we have people who actually struggle with insomnia and who think this is a great way to fall asleep. So I just, I, I wasn't sure what camp you were in.
2: Yeah, I definitely don't think I think some of these issues in the podcasts I listen to, I'm like, I could not sleep (laughs) hyped up. So this is definitely something I listen to if I'm like walking to class or like That's
0: what I'm talking about. I don't know.
2: Cleaning my room.
0: Are you a sports fan? I would say, yeah, you would say, yeah, yeah. And what what Ohio State sport particularly captures your heart?
2: I mean, they have like a football team. Honestly, I don't know if you know I,
0: I don't know. I don't know. I've heard. Yeah, I've, but I've they heard play of
2: football there. And so occasionally I go to their games and stuff <laughs> like that. So love football.
0: Oh, all right. Well, like, I'm so glad for uh, the, our Vox audience to get to know you. Yeah. Um, we met. Uh, there's a campus group um, that I've done some teaching and I'm like host and it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a rock star. It's, it's no <laughs> lie. Um, and you have a, a super interesting background and I thought it would be so fun. Thanks for being willing to come on. I thought it'd be so fun just to hear uh, a bit of your story and to get your take on some stuff. And so I'm grateful for your time today. Let's start. You were born where?
2: I was born in Silver Springs, Maryland, to um, nice. Ohio, Westerville, Ohio, when I was like young. So I call like Ohio home.
0: <clears> that a girl. That a girl. And where were your parents from?
2: Um, they're immigrants from Sierra Leone, which is a small country on the coast of West Africa, actually.
0: Right. And, and, and was there what was their background there? Why did they why did they end up leaving? Were they Muslim? What was the what was their story in coming to the States?
2: So yeah, um, my mom came here um, before my dad, and while they're overseas, they're engaged for six years actually. While my dad, oh, got wow. to it's like a super romantic um, story. But um, <laughs> yeah, when my parents came here, they culturally Muslim, and so like a lot of my extended family is Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, in that country, it's like you're either Christian or Muslim or like kind of pagan, and so it's kind of like you you pick a boat, and so there's a lot of cultural. Um, Religion there.
0: Uh, and when you say culture, religion, do you mean that people are just kind of going through the motions because that's the culture they're a part of? Or do you mean, do you mean something other than that?
2: Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Just okay. um, family, just traditions. Um, so when they first came, that was kind of um, the reality, No you know, it was like super like in depth. You wouldn't really be able to tell that they're quote unquote Muslim by the way they dress. They just were just average
0: Okay, and they were Muslim because their families were.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, so so you you're, you grow up in that, mm-hmm. uh, but but school was interesting. So so talk about talk about your school experience, right? Because then they send you to a Christian school.
2: Yeah. So when I was um, around three, four years old, my dad converted to Christianity, um, and so with that, they both thought, oh. Going to, there's a Christian school down the road, private school, get a good education, learn about God. That's great. And so I went to this um, Christian school, um, majority white. And so I was a minority there. I think when I entered there about like three African-American kids in my class um, mm-hmm. in a very conservative. And so um, there, when I went there, when it first started out, the King James Bible was like the only version you could have. That's what I'm talking um, about. Right. Right. Um, there was in chapel, you like you listen to hymns, just piano, um, people yeah. in long skirts, um, that whole idea, like dancing. There's no dances. Dances is kind That's of right. appropriate or unnecessary. So that yeah. was kind of like the spiel, um, the environment, basically my school was.
0: Now, was that so what was that like for you? So did, were your parents raising you Muslim
2: prior um, to that? So because we have, so my mom began to be more um, in her faith and Islam and my dad would, so basically in the summers is what it would look like. In the summers, Fridays, I would go to the mosque with my mom and Sundays I'd go to an African church with my dad. And so you kind of open both. Right. And so it was just like, every, and it, there was no like strife there. It was just like, we're all worshiping God I just in different ways was right. the idea. Um, right, right. You no. Know, so that was kind of what it looks like Yeah, growing up.
0: Pretty amazing of your parents. Was that and, and, and you just kind of thought, okay, this is just my family. Was that was that at your Christian school, it sounds like it was pretty uh, intense. Um, would you have gotten in trouble or whatever for having a mom that was Muslim? Um
2: I really don't I don't know. I think in trouble would be like I don't want to speculate because i really don't know so yeah. basically going i think there are different um reasons why i basically withheld my background and like my, my spirituality with um people in my school um so i'll give you an example there was a there were students in my school who were born out of wedlock and mm-hmm. so they were not the traditional like mom dad in the family mm-hmm. i'm raising this christian home Ideal. And so the way that they were treated, even spoken about, the idea is because the way they were brought up or born in um, were put upon them and basically looked down upon and like condescending. And so seeing how people who did not fit this mold in my school were treated, I was like, I don't want to part in that. Um, Right. Even seeing how like um, Islam was talked about in my school, there were some very like, um, we did conversations with certain students and it's like very heated. Um, there are bumper stickers that would say like Muslims are in, sheep and sheep and wolves' clothing. And like we're driving behind that going to school. So like wow. even being a minority, um, one of the very few representations of like a black friend that some people may like will probably have. Yeah. Um, you I didn't want any blame. I want to be I didn't want any stereotypes or any. um yeah, basically I didn't want to succumb to any stereotypes people would have. And so here I am having to be like the model of like black culture to people. And like, that's a lot of, um, that, that carries its own weight and pressure. Um, and so all of those kind of factored into like why I wasn't super open, which is, can be a really isolating place where people don't know you, you know?
0: Absolutely. And in those circumstances, I doubt I'd be open too. I mean, that's, Like that's a, that's a really, that's a really compelling picture of how suffocating sometimes uh, Christian subculture can be. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. And then, um, so as you were, so you're going to the mosque and you're going to a a black church and tell me about the, tell me about the black church. I mean, was it awesome? Was it just, was it the greatest thing ever?
2: Oh yeah. So it was a, there was, it was a West African church. And so nice. um, we're listening, people are dancing in the aisles. People <laughs> are catching the Holy Spirit. There's prophesying. There's some people are speaking in tongues. It was just <laughs> a whole, very charismatic, but it was its own like beautiful entity. And, but looking back, like, because I was in this whole nother like sphere, it was looked at as like, okay, you that's, that's wrong. So like in my school, it was like, whatever you're experiencing there, that's not, that's okay, not so let me
0: get this straight. So let me get this straight. You've got you've got the mosque, a service, right, mm-hmm. on Fridays, and that's one whole culture. Yes. And then and then you've got this <laughs> uh, West African charismatic Pentecostal stuff, and then you've got this straight event, straight jacketed sort of white evangelical culture that's judging. Yeah. That's saying that, you know, you're at fault for both other expressions. Yes. Right. So that I imagine that would be a very lonely place. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, what now what what's going on in you as you're as you're part of these three different worlds?
2: Um. So, yeah, like you're right. You basically described it as in, it is. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was operating in so many different conditions, operating in so mm-hmm. many different worlds and had and I was at a crossroads of different phases of my life. Where I'm like, okay, am I a Christian or am I Muslim? Right. What is truth in Christianity? Is it this white Jesus? Is it this black Jesus? Um, what yeah. is truth? Basically, all these different crossroads of yeah, what is truth? Where do I identify? Yeah, um, yeah. So that at the time, I, I it was just life for me. Like I I, I lived a very happy childhood, <laughs> very loving family. Like my yeah. in school microaggressions what are those like it's all good so basically like i just like lived this life kind of like um on autopilot and it wasn't until i was out of this sphere out of this bubble that i was just like that was difficult or that was hard to navigate or that was racist like all these just different things i was just like that came um that i was reflected on as i like got out of that sphere
0: yes now so so you graduate was that a school that went through high school yeah, yeah. Okay, so you graduate when when did you start waking up to the suffocating nature of what you'd experienced?
2: Um I remember like late in high school junior senior year um like My dad even, I would just be talking, having conversations about what I was learning in school. my dad was like, when you get out of there, like you're gonna realize like the real world, like does not work like this. (laughs) Um, And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not in a bubble. I'm pretty like quote unquote woke. Like I know what's going on. Um, And and just kind of denying that. And so when I did get out um, in college and like, like, oh, there are Christians, like people who love the Lord, who like worship differently, people who love the Lord who like have nose piercings and tattoos, like and who what? drink alcohol. Like what? what? You be a Christian and do that. And so like that was a whole other sphere and seeing these people passionately love the Lord and walk with him. And their their convictions are different, but it's the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit. And so um I think that really opened my eyes just even like realizing the, the broadness of of, of the people that Jesus calls into his kingdom. It's not just this mold. It's, it's, it's everybody.
0: What was the, and I know this is a horrible way to ask the question. What was the difference between the white Jesus and the black Jesus? The black (laughs) Jesus sounds a lot more fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the differences. Like looking
0: back at it, how did whiteness and that whole experience in that school present jesus versus how did the how did the west african church present jesus
2: so the presentations of jesus i know that basically i felt like i had to with white jesus i had to strip of my culture of my race of whatever basically that like made me me my experiences i just strip that and enter into the like enter into like the temple the church the kingdom that world where it. it felt like with black jesus quote unquote i was fully me and that was okay and so basically i felt like i had to fit a certain mold and with the white jesus i didn't fit that and so here's assimilation here's conforming here's um just yeah, performance, presenting myself a certain way, more legalistic, whereas I felt there was more freedom with the black Jesus just because that's what I identified with.
0: Right. Right. Right.
2: And I, and I was, I was like, I'm accepted as I am with my background being born Muslim. I was accepted period. No questions asked.
0: Right. What's, what's church like for you these days? You don't have to say what church you go to or whatever, but do you still see some of that same stuff um, involved with, you know, uh, student groups that are predomin- predominantly white or um, churches. Obviously, in Columbus, there there are some incredible African American churches. So, what, what, where do you still see this? What's church experience like for you? Why haven't you given up on it?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I couldn't imagine giving up on Jesus in general. I think what allowed me to cling to to Christianity, to church, to all of that was Jesus, the, the person of Jesus and knowing how real he was with me. And along this whole isolating part, which I didn't even realize was isolating until I was like, oh, that was isolating. <laughs> along that yeah. part, Jesus was holding my hand and knew me in and out what I was thinking even before I processed it. So that's why I didn't really give up on the church. Um, but I going to college, looking for communities where... Um, diversity was embraced and so mm. right now like the the um christian community having college is not would i would not say is diverse but the difference is it the converse, there's a conversation like there's mm. no they understand that things don't have to be whitewashed and that um culture identity differences are embraced and celebrated mm. and there's you don't have to be colorblind which i felt like before, it was like, all right, right, your your identity doesn't really matter now when you enter into Jesus. It's like, no, that's not true. Um, Church-wise, I go to church. It's like very diverse um, mm-hmm. as far as Columbus would be. And so, like, I look out and I see, like, this is a little bit of heaven. Like, there's sometimes we have gospel music, and then sometimes we have contemporary. And so, like, that's been a beautiful picture. I felt very comfortable that the conversation was at least being had.
0: Right. So one of the, I mean, that, that really strikes me because I've never thought of, I mean, obviously as a, as a white guy, I've never thought of, you had to set aside your cultural heritage to follow Jesus where I never had to. Jesus Mm -hmm. was part of my cultural heritage, you know, as it was presented. Um, That's, that's, that's pretty crazy. When you look at stuff that's happening in the church around race and reconciliation and those things. What are you encouraged by? What do you, what do you think churches can do better, particularly on the, on the white side? What, what um, is obviously you just, you have eyes on this stuff that I can't, I can't see or relate to. And so I love your thoughts on that.
2: I think first and foremost, it's important for, um, I guess I would say, like white Christians, to realize that, like, you enter the table with the culture, and that was like with your own culture. So, your background What's that mean?
0: What's that mean? Like I'm sorry to interrupt you.
2: No, you're fine. Your background, your experiences, the way that you're raised, you come in with that identity, and that context gives you a lens of how you view everything and how mm-hmm. you experience and navigate the world. And so, that first and foremost needs to be recognized that people, minorities, people of ethnic minorities, people from different backgrounds entering the church, like these are the only people who have <laughs> a culture, like all of our experiences, <laughs> right?
0: Like, all, totally, people, totally. it's
2: crazy, this has to be said.
0: No, but, but it does
2: it's not recognized. And so I thought I'm the only one who has, I, I'm from Africa. I'm African. So I have this culture. And so I come like, no, 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 we all have a culture. And so realizing that and embracing everyone of all cultures and backgrounds and mm-hmm. not because like you don't have to clean yourself up in some sort of way, culturally or your background to enter the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and to be loved and to Preach. experience Jesus at all. And yeah. And, and that's why like the bible doesn't really tell us like we we know jesus isn't white but jesus but his portrayal of white distances some brothers and sisters from the cross because yeah, yeah. that just you see forms a distance and so um realizing that like jesus is for everybody that means we can have mongolians we can have Europeans, Africans, Asians, everyone from different backgrounds come to the table and relate to Jesus at the same um at the yeah, same level.
0: That's right. What are what are ways in which um the, the the church subtly presents um Jesus in a way that makes you feel like you have to set aside some of your culture? <clears throat> And if you and, and if you can't think of anything, that's fine. I'm just I was I'm curious because, like when I go when I go to an African American church, I've preached in a couple, and, and it's the best experience I've ever had. I mean, it's it's just it's amazing. Yeah. But I don't feel like I don't feel like I have to set aside anything to go. Mm-hmm. I have to embrace something. You know what I mean? It's like I I know I'm weird, and I you know, and stiff and, um, and, and, and I'm straight jacketed in my worship and all of those things, but it's not like I have to set something aside. So I'm, I'm super interested in how is it that you think that, that sometimes the American church can present Jesus So like you'd said, hey, skin color. So we get portrayals of Jesus as white. Well, obviously he's Middle Eastern and obviously he's Jewish. Mm -hmm. So we have we have guesses about how Jesus would look. Go look at your local Palestinian. Right. Or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there other ways that happens? Have you have you picked up on other ways that happens?
2: Um. I wouldn't, I don't, I don't know if I could say now where I am in life now that I can see ways that the church blatantly does that. Mm -hmm. I know from my experiences, just basically like saying blatantly having drums in your church is like not okay. (laughs) <laughs> and now going to churches and worship sessions where there's drums and like, that's a great way I experience the presence of God um, through like music. It, like that was an example of like, that's, a, that's a part of you or the way that you're experiencing God is, is not. Mm-hmm. Is not okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that. So sometimes uh, the way we present theology um because, I mean, the extra biblical command to say there's no dancing. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you know, that's that's a tough one. When Jesus was dancing as a form of worship and a lot of the feasts and festivals would have had. David
2: danced. Well, that's right. Like yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. And was shamed um, for it as well. Well, it could have been very bad dancing. I mean, yeah. they, they, we don't know. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> but there, there's a sense in which uh, some of our theological battles... Um, already put people at odds with their culture, right? So like, whether it's charismatic Pentecostal stuff, or whether it's just expression and form, it seems like there's, there are ways in which we can present stuff that automatically will make you feel like, okay, I've got to, I've got to give that up. Um, so, so yeah, that, I mean, that, that totally makes sense to me. Um, as you, it, it, so if, if you're a, a young church planter, let's say you're a white, uh, couple, um, starting a church plant in, uh, in Columbus, Ohio, or wherever in our current climate, what are, what are, what's advice that you would give to them about how to create, uh, and sustain a community that is a slice of heaven, as opposed to just another pocket of one sort of ethnic group?
2: Um, I think that when we're looking at embracing diversity, it's not just about what the congregation looks like. Mm. Um, And even as, let's say, the congregation, what it looks like changes and is more diverse, at the end of the day, I think we need to be willing to realize that people's experiences and backgrounds will influence how that we are set to do things. Our way of doing things will change. So it's not even just saying you have a seat at the table. It's like saying you have a say at the table. You have a mm-hmm. voice at the table, and people's voices are being heard, and that's infiltrating into the way that we do things. And like mm-hmm. that's also valid as long as it's like within, like it's it's abiding in the word. But like people's voices and experiences aren't just like okay, you can be here, but you sit back there and don't have any influence on um, our way of, of doing things. Mm -hmm,
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that totally makes sense. And and there's a, I like, I like what you're saying in terms of, it's not just the, how does the congregation look, but it's about how you lead. And, and, and you've said this a couple of times, and this is so, this is so good. It's, it's carrying with us the idea that, that white people have culture too. Like Mm -hmm. we can't just, we can't just sit around and think we've, we've not been conditioned by, You know, our background and experiences and, you know, whatever else. And so that's because that you're right. I mean, I as grown up in in small town, Ohio, wasn't until I moved to California and saw just the incredible diversity there that I was like, oh, oh, I I see I've been missing out a little bit. And part of the missing out was those are those are all the people that have culture. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what I mean? We don't. And, and boy, that's, that's so good. What, as you, as you kind of grow now, what's your relationship like with your mom? Uh, do you still go to, to go to the mosque? I mean, what, what's all, how's all that go?
2: Um, yeah. So people might hear this and assume that there's like tons of strife. My mom is honestly my best friend and like we have great conversations. I think at the end of the day it's, um, who we believe Jesus is. Um, At the end of the day, that's like our differences, but yeah, great relationship with my mom. Even, um, yeah, I think there's, yeah, I think that might be a surprise to some people thinking, Oh, well, aren't you going to be in strife all the time? It's like, no, no. It sounds like, it sounds
0: like your dad and your mom modeled that pretty well. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? They didn't fight over whatever. They were just, yeah. I mean, that's pretty remarkable, pretty remarkable story. So uh, Malika, thank you. For this. I just wanted our our audience to get to know you because I think you're a pretty remarkable young lady, um, super articulate. And I I I'm as a old guy um learning a lot these days, uh, and love love to hear kind of the experience. And 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 I've I've been a contributor to Christian environments, I think that um that, that confused whiteness and white culture with Jesusness and Jesus following. And so that, man, that's an interesting thing I need to marinate on and go back and look at, you know, because I think that's super important. Um, so, so I am, uh, how do people find you? Are you on Twitter? Are you on Snap? gram whatever it is
2: <laughs> i'm on snapchat i do cooking shows on my snapchat <laughs> you not oh yeah i love to cook i just show college students how to like make affordable meals it's actually a joke but it's like super funny and people enjoy it At least all right
0: what's your what's your id
2: um my instagram malika say. um you can find me on instagram i'm on twitter don't really tweet much but okay email. <laughs> all
0: right spell spell your name for us
2: m-a-l-a-i-k-a S e s a y, and I would love to com- like continue this conversation um, with people. Love it. I'm still learning too. I'm still navigating and kind of deconstructing what I what I experience and how that affects me today. So
0: absolutely, no, I think that is absolutely wonderful. So hey, thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, to be continued. Okay.
2: Yeah. Thank you.
0: All right.